Hey, it's Sportsnet Today here. Jamie Dodd, Josh Elliott Wolf. We will be back soon, but we will take you now live to Rogers Arena to hear from JT Miller, fresh off of signing the big long term extension with the Canucks. Here is JT Miller. Shutting off talks when I got there, but you know, nothing was finalized from that standpoint. But you know, I think it might free me up to play, you know, even a more consistent level of hockey and um to know that uh, you know, there's a commitment there. So I'm really excited to be obviously spending a you know, this chapter of my, uh, my life and my hockey career in Vancouver and, uh, you know, to get it out of the way before camp just so I can focus and be clear-minded and uh, have a clear head is uh, it's exciting. Brendan Batchelor, Sportsnet 650. Hey, JT, congratulations on the contract. Just your thoughts on uh, the hockey club here and the group of players that you're going to head into the season with. Obviously, there's a few new additions that the management group has made over the summer. What do you think about the group that you have and what do you think you guys might be able to accomplish this year? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of great ads, uh, especially in the forward group. Um, you know, I still think we still have a ton of confidence from last year. Um, we talked a lot last year about knowing we have a good team in that locker room. It's just going to get better with time. And, you know, I think the time maybe is coming a little faster now. I think that, uh, you know, our depth up front, especially with the additions of uh, Mikheyev and Curtis, I think it's, you know, we have, you know, nine to 10 guys that can literally play wherever in the lineup. And that's, you know, that's awesome. And, and four really solid lines. And obviously our decor last year, we defended really well with our group. So, so a lot of reasons to be excited. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I certainly have a high expectation for our group this year and I'm sure everybody else does as well. And just really to continue off of how we played, you know, when Bruce got there last year. Yeah. And having Bruce back, for another season, you know, does that add to what you talk about in terms of building off the momentum of last year and how important will all of that be to having a good start to the season? Yeah, we're all excited that Bruce is back. You know, obviously, it was a great fit from the day he got there, and uh, I know he's excited to be back as well. Um, I think we learned a lot about start to seasons and how important they are, and we all know the track record of teams that are, you know, out of it by a certain point there. It's hard to climb back in, and, you know, we were a prime example of that, so... Um, you know, we need to be ready from, you know, time training camp starts and carry that momentum into, you know, through preseason into game one and, and enjoy doing it. It's going to be fun when we're winning games. I think we realized that last year and, you know, it's going to be a fun time for everybody if we play well. Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet. Hi, JT. Congratulations to you and your family on Owen. That's fantastic. Uh, Brian Bartlett said that you left money on the table, which you know, if you look at 56 million, it seems there's a lot of money on the table. But did you feel like you pushed for uh, every last dollar? And if you didn't, why didn't you? Well, I, you know, that's a lot of money. And I feel very fortunate to be uh, in the spot I'm in. Um, to be, I mean, honestly, no, I probably didn't scratch. But at the same time, I, you know, we thought that we were going for an offer that was fair on my end. And and the trumping factor is that I want to be in Vancouver and I love this group of guys and I want to win in Vancouver. And uh, I still believe that we have the team that could do it there. And, you know, every single year that, you know, our group's there, we're just going to get better and better. And I think that was, you know, from a money standpoint, it's really not my job to evaluate, you know, if I left money on the table here and there, but, you know, I'm happy as I'll get out with the deal and I'm just glad it's done. And, you know, like I said, on the first question, I think I could just be a little more clear headed and moving forward and, you know, I'm excited it's in Vancouver. And I think uh, a lot of progress was made on the deal in a short time towards the end. Was any part of you surprised that it came to this conclusion? Because at times it looked uh, pretty bleak as far as finding a solution, but, you know, with the salary cap. 
Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, at that point, I really wasn't focused on whether an extension or whatever was going to happen. I was, you know, my wife was 39, 38 weeks pregnant. I was worried about taking care of her and the kids and, you know, getting her to the hospital and whenever the baby was going to come. So uh, I wasn't very distracted with uh, the contract stuff. Um, you know, it's funny how timing works that it happens pretty quickly around the same week as the, you know, the birth of your first son. So uh, it's, it was an amazing week, no doubt. Patrick Johnston, Post Media. <clears throat> JT, you're such in such a unique spot in a career. You get to pick where you live. You've talked so much about your family. Um, picking Vancouver is a is a choice. It's a you know, I mean, every city would have been a choice, but you know, it's a different place. It's a different country. You know, what can you tell us about picking Vancouver as a place that you want to be and you and your family want to be in the years to come? Well, I think first and foremost, the opportunity I've been given here since I've been here and how welcoming the organization and the players and the coaches have been and the management for me and my family. You know, we have good relationships with a lot of the players and wives and, and I still think we have a good hockey team. I know we missed the playoffs and if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, you know, I thought we played a really good season at, to a certain point last year. Um, can we be better? No doubt, but the potential we have, and I think we're going to hit the ground running and surprise a lot of people this year. And at the end of the day, it's a business and it's work. And, you know, I want to be where we're going to have a good hockey team and, we have a lot of good things to be excited about in Vancouver. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm a family guy and I like to spend time at home, but it doesn't really matter how far away that is at this point. I just want to win. And I want to be at a place where we feel comfortable and we have good relationships and we kind of have all three of those there. And, and then just as a leader, I mean, you talked a little bit last year about learning about yourself, about sort of, I think you said the power of your own voice and how that can cut both ways and realizing that, you know, I, I, I took that to mean you realizing how you have to be impactful in what you say. You can be passionate, but it has to have a purpose. Um, you know, I'm wondering how you kind of came to that realization. Was that you just getting older? Was that you having a family? Was that, you know, what, what was that? Probably just getting older and your, your role changing. Um, uh, at some point you mature to a certain level. And I think that that, you know, hopefully keeps getting better and better as the older I get. But uh, obviously the role I have in Vancouver and the position I'm in, I think that, uh, like I always say, you can, you know, the best voice carries, you know, by your play. And, you know, if you play well, I mean, it's, it's the best way to lead. So uh, try to worry about that. But I think at the same time, I'm a, like we always talk about, I'm a talkative guy. And I, uh, you know, I enjoy that part of sports and something I'm trying to get better at every year. Arhan Lalji, TSN. Congratulations again, JT. Um, I want to ask you about uh, just Bruce's comments that you are the number one center. He's repeatedly said that. Um, do you feel that way? And if so, what does that mean to you? Um, that's a tricky question to answer, I guess, without saying anything stupid. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 um, I, I, it's, it's the role my coach puts me in, you know, I try to worry about myself and wherever I'm slotted into the lineup, you know, it doesn't matter. I think that um, as I've been there, you know, with Travis, I played, you know, second and third line and I don't think it really matters. I think I could find a way to chip in on any line, but I guess your question, it means a lot that he's saying that uh, I think Bruce and I have a good relationship so far, you know, he's definitely challenging me on a nightly basis and, you know, I want it, I embrace that. And whether it's, you know, first line center or third line wing, it doesn't matter. I just want our team to be good. And, you know, I want a big opportunity and a big role like everybody else, but I just worry about myself. And, you know, if I play well, I think those opportunities will come. There's been a lot of talk about uh, this defense needing to approve, improve. And that's not just from us media guys. I mean, even, even Jim and Patrick have admitted that from time to time. And that was a big focus this offseason. And that wasn't necessarily able to happen. Um, and it was tough to manage, you know, contract negotiations plus that. What's your take on the defensive group and whether or not um, 
you know, it, it's where it should be without singling any names out. Well, I think, you know, that's, you know, the forward group and we play as a five on five, you know, a five man unit. I think we, it's a five man defense. If you ask me, I mean, you know, if the forwards have a bad night and turn the pucks over, we're putting a lot of pressure on our defensive players and our goaltender. And, you know, I think a lot of the times I think defending wasn't really our issue. It was our team play that bit us in the butt and we kind of were our own worst enemy. So, you know, I'm not worried about our defense at all. You know, I don't really pay attention to, you know, maybe what you guys think are the issues. Um, I think when we played well last year, everybody was defending well. You know, you have to play a good five-on-five, 200-foot game, and everybody's going to look good. And, um, you know, you can't just take the bad nights out of that, in my opinion. I think it's a team defense game. And, um, you know, when we're on our top of our game, like every good team in the league, we're hard to play uh, defensively. I'm a Karsten Smith, Canadian Press. Hi, JT. Congrats on uh, both the new addition and uh, the new contract. Um, obviously, there have been a lot of big contracts handed out to free agents uh, over the past few months here. I'm wondering how closely you were following that and whether it played into your decisions at all. Um, I wasn't, I mean, you obviously know who signs, I guess. I'm not paying too closely attention to that. Um, it was a slow summer for, I guess, to get where we, where we got, how quickly we did at the end there. But, you know, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that. You know, you're obviously aware of who signs for what and, there were some very uh, big numbers for some forwards this summer. So obviously it's hard to ignore that. Um, all really good players in the NHL. And uh, I guess it really didn't impact my decision. You know, there's a market out there for players. And I'm sure that does matter to some point, but you know, it's kind of out of my control. You talked a couple of times about wanting to play here and wanting to win with this team. What is it about this group that makes it so special? Well, I just come, think we've come a long way and you know, I think we've gotten a tighter knit uh, as I've been here. It's going to be my fourth year here already. And, you know, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces too, but you know, this, this group really enjoys each other's time. Like we, we like each other. It's a, it's just a fun group. Um, we, when we, you know, when we won last year a lot, when Bruce got there, we had a lot of fun and I think we want to do more and winning in the regular season is great, but that's not why we, why we play. And I think that if we can, you know, we want to get back to the playoffs and we want to win when it counts. Cause I think we're just going to, you know, for a lot of guys that haven't played, you know, a playoff building and a playoff series in front of fans, it's, it's a different beast. And I think that it's a contagious thing. And that's what's so exciting about it, you guys. I think the best yet to come. Seth Patterson, rink-wide. Hey, JT, like everybody else, congrats on uh, the deal. You know repeatedly that you don't pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on around you. But I know that on the John Scott podcast, uh, you did say that you were aware that you had been traded basically every day through the offseason. Uh, I just wonder how much of the noise ultimately made its way to you and how much did you choose to consume or is it more, you know, family, friends, people telling you what they're hearing about your future? Yeah, it's almost a hundred percent. Just people, you know, everybody else has a Twitter and Instagram and, you know, I have, uh, you know, I don't pay attention, you know, I don't have it. So I, um, you know, I don't really pay attention to that stuff. Um, you know, the hockey community feels very tight knit once you know a lot of people. So, um, it's basically just word of mouth to me and definitely gets your mind to, uh, to turn a little bit and, you know, times it's harder than others, especially when it's not all that clear. What's what your path in front of you is, but yeah, I mean, I thought we did a good job as a family of uh, blocking out the noise and it just seemed like the people on uh, social media and just kind of drove, drove themselves crazy is what it kind of felt like all summer with all the hypothetical scenarios. So it really wasn't as busy as I think as you guys think it was. And I just wonder, too, um, for this team to take that next step, 
Uh, the component parts, and really in, in your time here, the power play has been a weapon, and it was under Bruce as well. Um, like, how excited are you just to bring back basically the same group as you guys grow together, and Quinn gets another year, and uh, Elias hopefully hits the ground running instead of having to work his way into the season. Uh, how, how dangerous can the power play be, and how big a factor do you think it's going to be to, to leading you guys where you want to go? It's a huge factor, and I think that's something we take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, our group since I've been there has been in the, I don't know how we, how we did in the, the COVID season, but, you know, I think we were top 10 last year and maybe top five the first year. So, you know, we have a high expectation and that's, you know, creating momentum for the power play for the team is what we always talk about. But I think it's even higher than that. I think it's putting the puck in the net and being timely. And, and uh, I think that last year we were really starting to catch our stride there, especially in the latter half of the season. And we have a very high expectation level for ourselves. So, um it's fun that we're going to have pretty much you know probably the exact same group and we should just get better and better and um just more and more familiar and being one step ahead is what the power play is about and you know playing fast and I think we're going to do that so it's exciting Nick Nazar Sportsnet 650 congratulations on uh, everything JT uh you mentioned you had a clear head and this opportunity to be consistent when you reflect on the three three years you've had here um is that something that you maybe haven't had because you're coming to a new team, new country in year one, and then we have the pandemic season year two. And obviously there's so much focus on your personal situation last year with trade talks and everything. Is that an opportunity to, to kind of have steady footing and have a clear head coming into this year that you haven't had prior? Yeah, well, I'm sure all the chatter is not going to stop. I mean, it's never going to stop and that's fine, but it's, I feel like I have a job to do and sometimes it's easy to get caught up in things, but it's, it's just a distraction. It's a distraction, whether you're the one paying attention to it or the people were saying it, it it's, uh, it's not a, what's the task at hand. And, you know, I look at that as, you know, right now having a good camp and getting back with the fellas and starting off the year on the right foot and having a way better start than last year. That's literally the only thing I'm worried about. Um, you know, social media has taken over the world these days and, you know, especially in the hockey community is so small, you feel like one little thing is leaked and very easy to get wrapped up in that. So I try not to get wrapped up in that. I have plenty going on in my life and, um, yeah, I really don't even worry about it as much as uh, people may think. And does the contract or the money representing represent anything to you as far as the recognition of the type of player you become and placing you in a certain class of player? Because, you know, there there isn't a lot of noise on certain types of players that so we would never trade this guy or this guy. Does this kind of contract put you in a certain class that you feel like, hey, I've always belonged here? Well, I definitely didn't think I've always belonged here. Uh, this is, um, I mean, it's it's something I didn't realize or didn't really think I was capable of earning. Um, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. You know, I don't come from a whole lot, you know, my family and um, it means a lot to us. It's very emotional. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't really, you know, to a certain point about the money. I mean, I just want to be somewhere where I think that, you know, we can win hockey games. Um, I'm very fortunate in that sense. And, um, you know, I feel very, very lucky. Um, you know, my family's good and I want to come back and, ready to get this season underway. It's going to be a very fun season for us. And like I said, I think we're going to catch a lot of people by surprise, but you know, from the money standpoint, I just feel very lucky and fortunate. And, but I think I put in a lot of effort and a lot of hard work to get where I'm at. We're just going to take a couple more here. Next up, Carol Schramm, Forbes Sports. Hi, JT. Uh, congratulations on everything that's happened this week. Um, first off, I'd like to know with um, the new baby and everything, when you and the family will be coming out to Vancouver. Um, thanks. I, uh, I'm coming up uh, this weekend on Saturday and uh, my wife and the kids aren't coming back till that first road trip's over in October. Um, there's a couple of events my wife is a part of uh, early on in October and with the road trip, you know, 
think it makes more sense for her to hang home and uh, be with family. Great, thank you. And um, I listened to that John Scott podcast as well. And so I wanted to ask you about um, a couple of the points that you made about your own game, talking about wanting to bring a more sort of 200 foot effort, I guess, this season in terms of what you said. And also that line that you walk of sort of playing with your heart on your sleeve and being emotional and maybe trying to rein that in without pulling anything away from what makes you successful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's always room for improvement in, in your game, but, you know, I think I'd like to give up less to get more. Um, I look at some of my favorite players around the league and they, they play in their own end first and 200 foot all the time and very hard to play against. And I think I want to, you know, kind of excel to that level uh, in my own end, be equally as hard to play against in my own end as I am on the offensive end. And I don't feel like it is right now. So I mean, that's something I'm really going to be working for. And, um, you know, team defense is so important, like we just talked about. And I think if I can add that to my game and then once we get it in the offensive zone, you know, just play and you know, do what comes natural for me is really going to help. So it's a big focus of mine going into the season. And I think any emotional player will tell you that brings the absolute best out of them. But uh, also, you know, make you look bad sometimes and be a negative influence for the ones around you. And, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve and that could be good sometimes. And sometimes it could be emotional and um, high volatility and you know that's not really what you want you want to be even keel but you know sometimes I feel like that's harder for me to do because I play with so much emotion and, and passion and um, it's something I'm always always wary of and can prove and improve on as well. Chris Faber connects Army. Hey JT congrats on uh, everything over the last week for you and your family uh, I kind of wanted to ask about you know you guys have a change in the management group last year uh, these two guys come in with Patrick and Jim who have won Stanley Cups. What about them made you want to lock in here for seven years and kind of be a part of, I guess, kind of the new plan that they have set up for this team? Well, it's just change. You know, I'm not, this team hasn't been other than one year in the bubble. I don't think a playoff team in a very long time. And, you know, I think it was time for change. Um, I can't speak on behalf of anybody, but um, it's a hungry city for hockey. And those two have such a good track record of winning. Um especially in a couple organizations that, you know, are very accustomed to that. And it's just another reason I want to be a part of that, you know, change is good. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's tough to see friends or colleagues go, but um, it's another reason I'm excited to come back because I think times are going to be changing and the bet, like I keep saying, the best is yet to come. And, and with the group we still have there, there's a no brainer for me for all those reasons to, uh, to want to come back. Uh, and pretty much since he's come to the NHL, you've spoken very highly of Vasily Podkolz and got a chance to play with him quite a bit last year as well. Uh, for him, I know the sophomore slump is something that we see in the NHL. This type of player, you kind of talked about it on the podcast that you were on that, you know, big things change once he felt more comfortable about it. And from talking to him so far, he feels really comfortable in Vancouver. What are your expectations for him? I mean, he, you've spoken very highly of him in the past. Yeah, for sure. I'll say it again. He's one of my favorite players on the team and, uh, you know, I think his biggest attribute is how, you know, how humble and how much he wants to learn. I think that uh, if you're playing like that all the time, it's going to be hard to have a slump. But, you know, it's a, it's going to be a hard year for him. But I think he's going to be up for the challenge and, you know, take it with stride. Um, I know everybody's in his corner. He's such a great kid, like I keep saying. And and uh, I guess I guess time will tell. But, you know, he's in, always in great shape. And, you know, never that's not going to be the problem. And I know he's going to be excited. And you know, the more comfortable he feels, just the better he's going to get. And, you know, I think we're all excited to have him on our team this year. We'll take a final follow-up question from Thomas Strance, The Athletic. JT, you, you commented on 
uh, sort of changes in the management suite. And yet when new management comes in, often you expect significant changes on the ice that kind of hasn't happened. And in fact, your group, this core group, you're excited to rejoin has almost been doubled down on. Does that, what does that mean to you? And what does that change in terms of your personal expectations and the team's expectations going into this season? Um, it gives us a level of confidence, I think. Uh, you know, since I've been here, we've been a pretty, pretty good team with some very strange, you know, starts here and there, I guess. I mean, my first year we were a playoff team and second year was a hardly a real season, I guess. It was very, very weird. And, you know, last year, other than the start, we made change and we're playing really well again. So it's been, I don't think we're far off, I guess is what I'm saying. And I feel like everybody thinks that we're pretty close and only going to get better and more mature as a group. And, you know, we're going to be very hard to handle, I think. So I think it shows confidence in our team that, you know, if you don't make a whole lot of moves, you know, hopefully we're not too far away. And like I keep saying, it's going to be very exciting. I think a lot of guys are really excited to start the season. Yeah. A lot of chatter in Canadian hockey media circles over the course of this summer about whether or not Canadian teams might have difficulty um, retaining players who are American born uh, on long-term deals. Obviously you've now signed. Uh, was it any factor for you? Is it a factor among the players that you train with in the summer or chat with during the off season? Uh, what's your take on it? I'm assuming players just want to be closer to home. You know, I don't, there's really not much more else to say. I mean, if it's, it really doesn't pertain to me at all. I just signed for seven years in uh, Vancouver. So yeah, I don't know. Thank you, JT. And thank you all for joining us. That will conclude this media availability. All the best. That was J.T. Miller speaking live at Rogers Arena to the assembled Vancouver Canucks media. Uh, the $56 million man now with extension in hand. Also, uh, as you heard, maybe a little cameo appearance from a new member of the Miller family, Owen, in the background at various points. So, yeah, congratulations to J.T. Miller, the J.T. Miller family, and a very, a very, very eventful uh, few days. It's Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 650, the home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My guy Josh Elliott Wolf is here. We're going to take a quick break, but get your thoughts in 650, 650. We will give our, our reaction, our take to the Miller deal, what comes next. Break down some of what you heard from JT Miller there as well on the other side. So keep your thoughts coming in 650, 650. And hey, if you want to call in, we got uh, we got open phone board. So 604 280-0650 if you want to give us a shout and have your say on the JT Miller deal. It is Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 650. What is going on? It is Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Josh Elliott Wolf is here, and uh, I mean, we knew we were going to be doing these shows today and tomorrow in this time slot. Josh, last week, did not know exactly what was going to be going on, and then Friday afternoon, the JT Miller news drops, and now all of a sudden, it really does feel, in some ways, perfect timing because it was Labor Day weekend. Like fall, or fall is here. Summer is over. We know what we're talking about with the Canucks. It's JT Miller. We have clarity. You know, the weather turned a little bit this weekend. We're looking forward to hockey season. It was kind of, in some ways, the perfect way to end summer. The The, the summer of JT Miller drama is over. Yes, it's finally over. I don't know. It, it got me pumped. I, it... 
think we might have some technical difficulties with Josh that we will work on there in just a second. But yeah, it was kind of the um, the perfect way. Surprising, extremely surprising, but the perfect way to end the summer from a Canucks perspective. And I want to highlight, there's a lot of interesting things uh, to get to in the JT Miller media availability that we just heard live here on Sports 650. A couple of uh, house uh, housekeeping things as well. JT Miller will be on this station with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah on Canucks Central, an early edition of Canucks Central. JT will be on the station at 11. Canucks general manager Patrick Alvine will also be speaking to the media. That's happening live at 11, so what we'll do is we'll record that, and then at some point after JT Miller is on live, uh, we'll play you back the Patrick Alvine audio as well. So you'll hear from JT Miller again live with Satin Reach. Uh, you'll also hear from Patrick Alvine later today. Josh, do we have you up and running? Here Am I today? back? All I'm right, back. you're back. Hello. You're back. Uh... Yeah, no, so what we were talking about with JT ending the summer, it was kind of a perfect way to yeah. end the summer. Get back into school season. We don't have to talk about JT anymore. That's now right. we shift solely to Bo Horvat. Well, <laughs> well, slow down there. I mean, we will talk about JT. We will talk about JT. It's just not, is he it's, going to be traded? Yes. And what and what is the number going to look like? Different right? conversation. It's going to be different conversations. There's going to be actual hockey conversations now mm-hmm. around JT Miller, which is pretty exciting. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber Tax Line, and also, again, open phone boards this segment, 604-280-0650. And I thought it was really interesting, early in that press conference, one of the things that JT Miller had to say, which I think really captures my reaction to this deal and what it means for the Canucks going forward. And one of the themes of that press conference from JT Miller was confidence, right? He talked a lot about how confident he is in this team how excited he is to be back playing hockey with them, how he thinks they can win. They're only going to get better. And one of the things he had to say was, you know, this team is young. It's going to get better with time. And that time is coming faster now. And I thought that was a good way to kind of sum up what this deal means. Because to me, the best thing about the JT Miller deal is we have clarity now about what the timeline is for this team, or at least what management wants the timeline to be. And that was always the reason there was so much, I think, in my opinion, anyways, the reason there was so much interest in what was going to happen with JT Miller is that it would give us such a clear indication of what direction the new management wanted to take the team, right? Are we going to see a a step back, a reload, a rebuild, whatever you want to call it, or is it going to be, nope, we're building with this group? And they answered that. And, And as JT Miller said, it's not a hypothetical thing years down the road now about when this team wants to compete the time that they need to compete is coming soon. It's it's pretty much here, right? That's the expectation. We know what they want. I'm not saying they're going to go all in and trade their first-round pick on this season or anything like that, but they're building on what they already have. And it, it's not a step back or anything like that. It's we have this group in place, and we're going to try to add to it to make ourselves a Stanley Cup contender. We didn't know if that was going to be the case until this deal got done. And as much as trading Miller was obviously a big discussion that could have helped more in the long term, I do... The more I think about it, the more I think maybe keeping him for this next window is the right decision and maybe trying to find some other part to move to try to improve that defense. Because I think when we talked about the trade, the main the main reason people looked at Miller was because, mm-hmm. hey, you can cash in on this guy. You can find somebody that can be on your blue line long-term, maybe with Hughes. Obviously, I think a lot of it was those trade options just weren't there. Yep. And maybe if they were, the Canucks would have taken that, but you can have multiple plans as a management group and still 
not be falling back on anything or pivoting to a direction you don't want to pivot. You can look at where this group is right now, the core. Like, they are young and they're ready to compete. And Miller is a big part of that. Obviously not as young, but he was one of, if not your best player last year. Yeah. And keeping him for the next four years, I think, is a great idea. We'll see what happens after that, but that's kind of the cost of doing business. But it is... It's really interesting to see how they build on this team moving forward now and what pieces move out to kind of fix other parts of the roster that might have been fixed with a Miller trade. And, you know, I was uh, going back to, what, February, January, when this conversation really got heated. I've been pretty consistent saying probably the the course of action I would follow is I would try to trade JT Miller. I, I just look at the team's window, how it's constructed, the value you could potentially get back, all of those reasons. That would have been my number one option. But I was also consistent saying that I'm under no illusions about how easy a decision it is, right? And it's not as if trading him as a guaranteed home run and signing him as a guaranteed disaster. It's a narrow, tough decision. A really, really difficult decision, right? Again, that's why there's been so much debate. That's why there's been so much conversation about it. So if the trade market was just completely underwhelming, which it seemed and way be. less than we assumed, and Elliot Friedman was on with Howard and Bruff earlier today, and we'll play some of that back in a little bit. If that's the case, then I absolutely understand the logic behind choosing to sign JT Miller, right? If you're not going to be able to have that kind of franchise-altering deal where the return really sets you up for the years to come, then I do kind of understand the logic of deciding, you know what, we need to keep JT Miller around. Now, having said that, they've also, it's a, it's a significant bet, and there's a lot of risk on this bet, and they've put themselves in a pretty tricky position. Now, Look, if you try to win the Stanley Cup, you're going to be in difficult positions from time to time. That's how it happens, right? It's very, very, very rarely a obvious straight path from rebuilding to winning the Stanley Cup. But the question I want to ask, and I'll throw it out to the listeners and you, Josh, as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber Dunbar text line. What needs to happen for this deal to be looked at as a success, right? What will make this the right decision? From a Canucks perspective. And, you know, you mentioned it when you were just talking about your initial reactions. The downside at the back end of the deal and the fact that you need to be getting value. I mean, obviously, he's on the last year of his current deal right now. But the first, you know, three years of the new extension, you need to be getting real significant value. Because that is the time when you can have the most confidence that he's going to live up to the $8 million tag. And I look at that, that matches up very well with the extremely team-friendly deal that Thatcher Demko is on, right? So you've kind of carved out a pretty obvious window for yourself where, okay, we can still rely on high-end production or, you know, relatively uh, solidly rely on high-end production from JT Miller in the first three deals. We still have a franchise goalie on a team-friendly deal. I'm not going to say they need to win a cup in, you know, the next four seasons, right? But you need to have, I would say multiple years in that frame where you're a legitimate contender, right? Where it's not where the goal isn't, oh, hey, I think we can, I think if things break right, we can make the playoffs. Yeah. Where you're going into the season as a top three team in your conference and people are saying that's a team that can legitimately win the cup. You need to give yourself genuine shots at winning the Stanley Cup in the next four years. Because after that, 
I mean, it, com- it becomes so hard to predict what the cap is going to be and you know what other players will be making. But after that, you don't know exactly how much value you're going to be getting out of the JT Miller deal. You have to strike right now while he's still a high-end player, while you have Thatcher Demko on that deal, and you have to find a way to climb the ladder in the NHL and make yourself a legit contender in that time frame. Yeah, you're really banking on those four years specifically. And obviously this year, they're not going to go into the season being a Stanley Cup contender, but... I think you continue the build this season. You continue it next season. I think that ideally the last two years of that Demko contract is where you say, hey, you know what? This needs to be the peak of the team. Pedersen's in his prime. Hughes is in his prime. Also, Pedersen's going to have a new contract at that point. Things have to kind of break right at that time. I think ideally you would have your team being competitive now because Pedersen's still on that bridge deal, but that's not going to happen. No. So... It's it's tough because as far as getting value from the contract, I think there's there's the personal point of view from Miller where I think if you get 80 points or over for the like a point per game player for the next four seasons, I think you're thrilled. You're thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And then after that, you kind of expect a drop off. You hope it's not steep, but you kind of expect a a decline at some point. It's factored in. And we've yeah. heard Jim Rutherford talk about this. He, he's well aware of that, right? When you're signing a player who's JT Miller's age to a long-term deal, you're not going to count on them to be the same guy they are now at the back end of that deal. It's just it's just not going to happen. And this text, or at least it's extremely unlikely to happen. Let's put it that way. This text comes in. It will make it a success if they can somehow avoid down years on the back end. I, I'm not. To me, that's baked in. Yeah. If, well, if it depends if, on how much of a down year it is. Sure, right? there's down years and there's down years. Right? <laughs> there's like if he's still, years. Yeah, if he's still putting up sixty points and you know he's playing second line for you and helping you on the power play, you can stomach those down years, right? If it's if it's the drop off is completely devastating, then it's a different deal. But mm-hmm. you kind of have to factor those down years in when you make a deal, right? Like you, you can't sign a deal like this and say, "Well, we hope he'll still be a first line center when he's thirty six. That's a bet you're going to lose, right? So that's that's why it comes down to the first three or four years of this deal for me. You have to find a way to get value then because that's when he's still going to be this version of JT Miller or where he's most likely to be this version of JT Miller. So I'm not even worried. The back end, you kind of just say, hey, we're going to deal with that when we come to it. That's pr- It's probably, hopefully the cap will be way up and other things happen and maybe he really retains his value. All of those things could happen, but you kind of just acknowledge the risk and you have to find a way to make it worth it in the next few seasons. And if if not... If it's four years from now and, you know, this team has won one playoff series or two playoff series in that time span, I think it's going to be really hard to look back at it and say, well, that was a good deal. Yeah. The other thing that it comes down to, though, for me is, like, if your options right now are trade Miller, get a few pieces that you think might work out but aren't as high-end as you might have thought or hoped when you considered trading Miller, losing him for nothing at the end of the year or signing him to this extension – I do think that was the right choice. And it's tough because you never know what could have happened at the deadline. Maybe he ends up still being traded. But realistically, this team was going to be in a playoff race regardless if they kept Miller. So, I don't know. But the cap is going to go up. And he's going to become less of a concern as that cap rises. But... You, you don't know how much it's going to rise over that time. I do. We did get a text. The JT, JT deal is only a success if it leads to at least one cup in the next four years. Wow. Hard stop. The goal is a cup. Missing the playoffs is a failure. Not winning a cup is a failure. 
That's from Mitch and Victoria. I kind of disagree. Like, if they're well, challenging for cups. Yeah, here's the thing. You can do everything right. Everything right as a hockey team and still not win the Stanley Cup in a five-year span, right? Yeah. Because there's so much randomness and luck that goes into it. You get bad breaks. Someone gets injured. Bounces go your don't go your way. And you don't win the Stanley Cup. So I have a hard time in any four-year window, especially when you're starting from the place the Canucks are, right? This is not, you know a team like, let's say, Carolina, who's had some really good regular seasons, if they were pushing all in, okay, you say, well, you better break through and get something done over the next four seasons. The Canucks are still building to be a regular playoff team. So it's it's hard for me to realistically set the bar at a Stanley Cup. I get that. That's the ultimate goal. And yeah, maybe that helps you kind of internally motivate yourself to say anything but a cup is a failure. It's just... It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So that's why I said, at least give yourself legit kicks at the can. Yes. Right? Give yourself legitimate opportunities where you're going in to the playoffs thinking, we can win the Stanley Cup this year. We're one of the, you know, I don't know what you want to say, six, seven best teams in the NHL. We can win the Stanley Cup. That After that, if you get to that point, there's a certain amount of luck involved. I think we can all agree on that. But you got to get to that point first and foremost in this deal. Yeah, it's especially because... Like, we saw how long it took Tampa and Washington to break through. Like, Tampa was a legit, yes, at least contender or trying to be a contender for almost a decade when they eventually got there. Um, it's it's going to take time. I do wonder if, like, how do we expect Demko to age, too? And the, all the pieces are kind of in place to be a legit contender for more than a few seasons. Like, you have your one C, you hope in mm-hmm. Patterson, you have your one or number one defenseman in Hughes, you have your goalie, but is it four years or can you sign Demko for a few more years and extend that window? And then all of a sudden, you're not as worried about this contract aging and you're more worried about trying to find the the supplemental pieces to go around well, the main Well, I guess the question is, what's the price tag and how does that fit into the cup at that point? And look, we're we're... That's very far out. four years down yeah. the road. So a lot can happen. But, I mean, along those lines, uh, Shooter Tutor Tyler says, I'm afraid of what happens after Demko's contract if he keeps up this top level. He is scarier uh, than Brock, Elias Pettersson, Hughes, and Horvat combined. That's from Shooter Tutor Tyler. And, look, I I get that. I would also say if he keeps we're four years going, out. Yeah. We're four years out. So it's just too far away to, to worry about. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You shouldn't be worried about anything that's four years away from happening, um, let alone, you know, what happens if if our goalie plays really, really well. The one thing I will say is as long as Ian Clark is in the organization, you have to think the Canucks are well-positioned to deal with the kind of ups and downs and, and transitioning from one goalie to the next. Now, I'm not saying, well, they're going to, you know, Archer Silovs is going to take over as the number one. Uh, from Thatcher Demko in four seasons, but at least you've shown an ability to have that internal pipeline with goalies. So, hey, you've got something there. But I think, again, because the deal ends in four years for Demko, and at that point it just becomes so hard to project what what place the team is, you have to look at it as, okay, we we have created a window. We've created a window for us. Yes, there's going to be other questions we have to answer. We all know about defense, but... We've created a window here in the next four seasons where we've got a core group of players who are going to be here, and we have to do something. We have to take those next steps, those significant, very difficult next steps in that time frame. Garinder says, I think the, the, the deal is a success if we become a perennial playoff team for Demko's remaining contract. Goal should be to begin filling in the missing gaps for this team 
every year now. I mean, I would even put it higher than perennial playoff team, right? Because that suggests, hey, you're a seventh or an eighth seed and you get bounced in the first round. Maybe you win around, win around one once or twice in there. I think the goal needs to be higher. That's kind of what you are now. Is well, you're hoping you're, you're a hoping that you're hoping team. that you're that this year. Yes. you know what I mean. In that's, two, three years. You got to be the above road. that. Yeah. You got to be above that. And the interesting thing to me is, so there's obviously two things that are going to come up when you start talking about filling in the gaps around what the Canucks have right now. And one of them is very obvious, which is how are they going to address the blue line, right? Mm-hmm. And that's fair. That's a very, very fair question. I'm sure that will be put to Patrick Alvin in some form when he addresses the media later today. We can get into that, and I think it is an interesting question. The other one for me, though, is... Are, so is the plan now to have three centers making $7 million plus for long-term? Is that the plan? Do you think, Because it looks like the plan right now. I don't think... Horvat would get $7 million plus, though. I don't know. Personally, I just see it, and we can float this by Earth, who's going to be on yeah. next egg, but I just I don't see Horvat getting over 6.5. Like, 6.5 to me would be the high end. And I know he, he deserves a raise from the just over 5 he's at now, but I just don't know. It's also tough because do we think Miller's going to be a center that whole time? Do we think Miller's yeah, going to stick question, but- at center? I mean, and he talked about this, right? Um, you know, Bruce Boudreaux has called him the number one center. They've been very consistent. This is what he d- this is where he plays for us. He is a center, and you know, you'd heard JT Miller talk about embracing that opportunity and how much he enjoys that. Understandably I, so. I don't think. Do you give him this contract if you don't think he's a center? Right? I I mean, I do. If here here's the the way I could see it aging well is if hey, he's your one or two C right now. And then a few years down the road, he's maybe not that great, and he's struggling a bit right. defensively, but he's still putting up a lot of points. You put him on the wing, and he's still in the top six. And that's maybe a way you justify paying Horvat as well, is you kind of bake in that Miller's going to be a guy that might be your two or three C, but if in a pinch you need him to be a top six winger because he's not producing at the level you expect him to as a center, then you move him to the wing. But... I, I don't know. If he does stick at center and Pedersen is obviously hopefully going to stick at center, then I don't know if I'm comfortable. If Horvat is asking for $7 million, I'm not comfortable paying a th- 3C $7 million. Yeah, and it's kind of unfair to Horvat to be like, well, you're a third-line center. It's like, well, no, I'm not a third-line center. I would happen to be as, like, take line rushes <laughs> as your, the third-line guy. team, I'm a third-line yeah, center. Yeah, but, I mean, even that is not really fair because you look at – you know, he's on the first unit power play, right? He's going to play all your matchup minutes. He'll probably end up this year. I mean, we'll see how the minutes fall, but typically last year it was Patterson who was kind of third in terms of ice time, right? In terms of five on five ice time. Ideally, you don't want that to happen this year. But I mean, somebody, one of them has got to be, right? Like, and I, one of them like, is going to be under 20 minutes a night. That's how it's going to be. Yeah. It, well, unless you load up late in games or whatever. Yeah. But I do think, like, I obviously. Right now, to me, Horvat is the three seed. Out of those three guys, he is the least. He's going to be the third line center, not necessarily in terms of ice time, but in terms of role, right? What we think of as the third line center role. Because unless they decide to start using Elias Pettersson in a real matchup role, which I think he can do, but it would surprise me a little bit just based on the composition of the team. They're going to give you know, JT Miller's going to be the one C. He's going to get those offensive opportunities. 
Elias Patterson is going to try to find those softer matchups as well. And then Horvat is going to be, again, asked to do a lot of the, you know, the hard work, the dirty work uh, in a matchup role. So he's going to kind of profile in some ways as a third line center. But I also don't think, you know, if I was Bo Horvat's agent and in negotiations, the Canucks came to me and said, well, he's a third line center. It's like, no, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. If he le- Like, I will agree. If he leaves, he's a 2C in most other places, which is very fine he can get paid as a 2c i just don't know if if i'm the canucks and i'm projecting this roster and i know i have to pay Pedersen as well i'm looking at that and i'm saying hey like we need you to take a little bit less because we want to keep this team together or maybe he does maybe he's the captain and he says you know what i'll take six million and i'll sign for a little bit longer because cap's gonna go up and that kind of makes it even out total money but you're right he would be a 2c in other places I, I just don't know if I'm comfortable paying him that. I, and I will say one thing JT mentioned in the press conference as well was that they have nine or ten forwards that can really be switched around in any role. And I think that's true, and I think they have a legit top nine now. So I wouldn't be surprised if, as far as minutes go, there isn't a huge discrepancy between the first line on a given night and the third line on a given night. No, this is they've set themselves up to have a, a top nine where it's really, as you said, there's not a lot to choose between, right? Where it's kind of mix and match, and especially having three big number one center, not number one, but you know, three high end centers is part of that. And look, we talk all the time about what a premium position center is, how hard it is to find them, how hard it is to find them on the free agency market or via trade. They don't have a ton coming at center uh, in the prospect pipeline. So maybe there is some wisdom to, hey, we're going to invest big in this position with the guys we have in-house. We're not going to take the risk. Because if you trade one of them, then all of a sudden, what are we talking about again? Have we been talking about forever? It's the hole at third line center. Find a 3C. Yeah, it's like, well, now we got to go out and sign one. Or we got to trade a pick for one. Or we got to trade prospects for one. So at the one end, I can look at it and say, man, how on earth are they going to build this team and add the depth on the blue line that they need to add? With these big commitments, I mean, again, we'll see what happens with Bo Horvat. Uh, Elliot Friedman had some thoughts about it. We'll play them later in the show. We'll talk to Earth about it as well. How on earth are you going to build out the depth of this team when you have that much committed at one position? But look, maybe that maybe that's the best course of action because of the talent you had to have you happen to have on hand here and the difficulty of going out and filling that position, which we've seen over and over again. It can be really, really tough to actually go find that guy to be your third line center. Uh, Lots of thoughts coming in about Bo Horvat. Uh, This one, 100% Horvat has to be 6 million or trade. 6.5 is too much. It's time for change. This one says cap is going up in two years. Bo is getting 7 million. Yeah, that would be kind of my expectation for Bo Horvat is 7 million. That seems like a pretty reasonable number to me. I don't, I guess he's younger, but is he cadre level? You know what I mean? He's younger is the thing. He's younger. That's it. But I just don't see another... And I like Horvat. Like, I feel like I'm going full Bick right now and just hating on Horvat. <laughs> yeah, somebody but... said it sounds like you hate him even more than Bick. Which, no, let's slow down. There. Yeah. No but one's touching Bick. I just don't know if he has another level to his game that would really warrant $7 million. And And, look, the texture's right. You're going up to the cap's going to go up. He does get over 30 goals in a year. He is, he's got the shot. I just think he's relatively one-dimensional offensively. I think he's got the shot, and that's kind of it. And 
I think he gets a little more flack than he might deserve defensively, mm. but mm-hmm. I also don't think he's a matchup guy. Like, I think he's good at a lot of things. He's just not great at a lot of things. But I do think... But the thing is, being a center who's good at a lot of things yeah, gets you paid. Exactly. Yeah, like, I, I think that's a very fair assessment of Bo Horvat's game. Now, the one thing I would maybe quibble with is he's shown that ability on the power play to be really effective as a goal scorer. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of his great attribute. But even if you say, well, he's good at a lot of things, not great at anything, that's a very valuable player. That's yes. an extremely valuable player and, at center. And I do think there's definitely value in having him as, whether it's your 3C or 2C or however it shakes out in the future, because when you're looking at trying to fix the team in other ways, whether it be defense or or whatever it is, obviously you need help on defense. I do think you have such a large amount of wingers right now yeah. that you don't necessarily need to take away from your center position because, hey, maybe at the deadline, maybe next offseason, you trade someone like Garland or I'm just throwing names out there, Garland, uh-huh, Hess or uh-huh, whatever, uh-huh. and you have Lecker or Mackey or someone else come up, fill that role, and you don't really miss them as much as you would a center. Uh, We will talk about all of that and more potential dominoes to fall, how the deal came together, what it means for Bo Horvat. Irfan Gaffar of the fourth period is going to join us next. It's Sportsnet Today with Jamie Dodd, Josh Elliott-Wolf, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Josh Elliott Wolf with you. Irfan Gaffar from the fourth period. Canucks Insider going to join us momentarily. Chat about the JT Miller news. Uh, what might be next for the Vancouver Canucks as well? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And, uh... You know, if you were worried about uh, what we were going to talk about now that JT Miller was signed, Josh, I mean, we got a fair amount of feedback on Bo Horvat there. You bring up Bo Horvat. <laughs> bring now. up Bo People Horvat. Are People are fired up. I'll read just a couple of them here. This one to all the Horvat haters. If you don't sign him, how, who do you replace him? Uh, centers who are reliable are hard to find. Give Horvat seven by seven and be done with it. Guy's going to produce in the playoffs. Two, uh, Dan and Fort St. John says, I'd question Horvat's leadership. Could be time for a change. If the country club atmosphere is an issue, it starts with the captain. Uh, that's from Dan and Fort St. John. And another one says uh, to you, Josh, amen on Horvat. One dimensional. 3C, not a $7 million dollar guy. That texter sent in quite a few examples of teams where he would be a 3C. Yes. And I will say, as far as the one dimension goes, He's really good at that one dimension, in my opinion. And, yes. like, he's a really good center. I just don't know if he's worth $7 million, I guess is what I'm saying. Very fair. Uh, now joining us here on Sportsnet today, uh, Canucks insider from the fourth period, friend of the station, Irfan Gaffar. Irf, how's it going, man? Two more sleeps till the NFL season. There Never you better. go. There you go. Plus, look, I mean, I know it's it's kept us in business. It's kept the lights on all summer. But uh, we don't have to talk about whether JT Miller's going to get traded anymore. So that, that must feel pretty good, too. No, yeah, no, absolutely, we don't. But wild, right? Holy I cow! Mean, so, I mean, for, from your perspective, or if it's it's surprises us all Friday afternoon. You know, we'd heard still not much traction, not much going on there. What's your sense of kind of what changed and and how it all went down on Friday? I just think it was gone to a point where, like JT even mentioned about an hour ago when he did his you know his Zoom of media availability, he said you know in the beginning of the week, you know uh, the Canucks reached out to his camp. Um, they hadn't talked in quite some time, and we know it was the Canucks that kind of reached out to them. And 
you know, it, it really came together within the last 24, 48 hours of him signing the contract. So I think that, you know, that was an interesting thing to, for, for me at least is, you know, the Canucks wanted to get something done and, and they went and did it. Now, whether it was because they couldn't move them or things like that, or the market was too soft or there wasn't really a market, that all obviously is now, you know, on the back burner because he's a Canuck and, and he will be for, you know, a, a very long time. But just listening to him speak today, I mean, you know, he sounds like a guy that, you know, is really invested in being in this market. And he wants to be here and he wants to be, you know, a leader of this team and, and, and things of that nature. And, you know, you talked to a couple of guys recently that, you know, they said that they were shocked as, as, as we were. No one really saw this coming. So um, when you see it from that point, it's one of those things that says, okay, they have one guy locked up for a really long time at $56 million now. What's next? And, and that's the biggest thing that's moving forward with your captain. Well, yeah, and we'll, and we'll get to Bo Horvat. We've been talking about it too. People have lots of thoughts. You know, just to your point, though, about the ability for JT Miller to be a leader here, and I thought it was also interesting when he talked about uh, the trust that Boudreaux has shown in him, and not just trust, but also challenging him to say, hey, you're the number one center on this team now. You're going to lead the team in minutes. You're going to play in every situation. And I wonder how much of it, uh, of that opportunity played into it from JT Miller's perspective, right? Not just the money, but the fact that if he stays in Vancouver, he knows he's going to be the guy in a way he might not get the chance to be in other markets. Well, I mean, we've talked about it for a very long time on this station. I- I've said it a billion times, that, you know, that this is JT's best chance to be that guy to be the alpha, to, to be the guy in the room. And, you know, he, guys really gravitate towards him in that locker room, right? And as much as, you know, Bruce Boudreaux says that he's going to be the guy and he's going to be our leader, you know, he holds people accountable in that locker room as well. And I think that that's a big thing too. You know, you have a guy that's as vocal as he is that wants to win as bad as he does. And, and you know, he's putting a lot of faith in this team too and this management group because signing for eight years here, you know, you have to think that there's, a future that you really do believe that you can win, whether it's in the next three or four. I mean, you look at the guys that they have under contract for the next, you know, foreseeable future in Thatcher Demko, in, you know, um, Brock Besser. And obviously, you know, they, it, we'll see what happens with Bo Horvat here. But you've got Connor Garland for another four years, Ilya Mikheyev, you know, and, and going down the list, you've got five years left of Quinn Hughes, not to mention their goaltender and Thatcher Demko for another four. So there is a window there. The window of opportunity, and it's just about making the most of it. And I think that, yes, people are going to look at the back end of this contract and say, okay, bad, what do we do? Things of that nature. But you're not getting JT to sign here unless you do that. And they couldn't move him, so the next thing to do was to sign him to a long-term extension. And JT's agent uh, said that they had left money on the table, uh, even though they had they ended up at $56 million total. It seemed like from what we had heard, the Canucks were lower. They were like around 40, 45 million total. Was this, was there a significant jump from them or was it Miller's side actually coming down a decent amount? Well, I think it was just a negotiation. It was just a process of, of negotiating, right? Where one side said that they left the money on the table another side saying that, you know, this is where we were at. This is where we're willing to go. I think at the end of it, in most of these negotiations, both sides kind of have an idea of where they're going to end up and someone's going to have to move somewhere. And what the Canucks were comfortable with was obviously $56 million. And that's something that they signed him to. And obviously, you know, a lot of that is signing bonus money in the first few years of his deal. So um, yeah, they're committed to him, you know, no movement clauses and limited, no trade clauses and things of that nature. But, you know, he's, he's a leader in, in and on, on and off the ice for this team. And, 
you know, it's going to show. And just by listening to him speak today, I, I think that, you know, it, it was very evident that this is a place that he really wants to be. He wants to bring his family here with obviously his newborn as well. Um, and this is the place that he wants to call home. And, and Earth, obviously now a lot of attention will turn to Bo Horvat. And I think, you know, the two have been linked in these discussions for obvious reasons, both centers, you know, similar age, deals expiring at the end of this season. I, I don't think it's ever been seen as a, a one or the other uh, question from the standpoint of management, but does this deal, does Miller's contract impact what happens with Bo Horvat one way or the other? Well, I think so. I think from just a numbers game, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, there's a number that Bo Horvath's camp obviously wants to be at. Is it, is it $49 million? Is it, is, is it north of that or, 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 or things of that nature? But you have to look at it from another perspective and say, okay, well, you're already over the cap right now. You're going to have to make some moves somewhere. Someone's going to probably go on LTIR or, or, or think um, something might happen here. But just looking at it right now, it, it's going to be tough to do. Someone's going to have to be moved somewhere. To, to make it all work by the time, you know, they, they open up the regular season in October. Um, they're going to have to get creative here. So that's the one that I'm interested in. Like, we saw that JT Miller, you know, got signed, and that shocked a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of other shocking things that could happen from this organization, right? Everyone was convinced that JT Miller was the player that was going to be traded. And now you look at it and say, wait, there's no way that they can trade their captain. Well, crazier things have happened. So, we have to wait and see, right? I mean, this camp, I mean, this, this, this regime, like I said before, doesn't really owe anyone much, right? They didn't draft any of these players, obviously this past draft, but um, you're in the business of winning hockey games and improving your hockey team. And right now there's, there's still needs that need to be filled, especially on the back end um, for this team. And, and I think that when you look at it from a cap perspective, you know, it's going to get down to the nitty gritty here in, in the next couple of months. So we'll see what happens. And from a cap perspective, Everything the Canucks have said makes it seem like they see Miller as a center, at least in the short term, and I think ideally they hope long term, but that would kind of leave Bo as a 3C. Like, how comfortable would the Canucks be, or any team be, paying Horvat, let's say it's 7 by 7 uh, to be their 3C? It's tough, right? It, it really is. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to swallow, right? And I must, look, unless you move JT Miller on the wing, because Elias Pettersson, you know he's going to get his bag, right? That, like, that's <laughs> coming. And, and, and I think that when you, when you look at it, you say, okay, well, where does that number start? If he has a crazy year next year, you know, and he does what a lot of people think he's capable of doing, you know, that bag's only going to get bigger and bigger. Um, so from a Canucks perspective, are you really willing to pay a guy like Bo, you know, seven or eight million dollars or seven and a half million dollars to be your 3c i just don't see a way that that's going to work i mean you look at what ryan Nugent hopkins got he he obviously took less money but his two centers in front of him are leon dreisel and Connor mcdavid they're two of the best in the world and obviously you know leon plays the wing sometimes as well maybe not this season because they have evander kane but um for jt miller is he going to be that one c if bruce boudreau is going to be the coach for this for the foreseeable future is he going to sign an extension is J.T. Miller going to be the number one guy, or is it going to be Elias Pedersen? Um, so we're all going to have to wait and see. But that's the one. Like, look, I, I agree with you, Josh. I mean, look, I, I'm, am, am I comfortable paying a guy $7 million a year to be my 3C? I'm not sure. And, and Irf, and we're in conversation with uh, Irfan Gafar, the fourth period here on Sportsnet 
650. You know, one of the things we've heard, I know Sat has been on this and you've been on this as well about this management group is, you know, regardless of the player, if, if they're talking trade, they have a, a value in mind. And if they, if team is willing to offer that value, great, they'll do the deal. If not, they're not going to bend. They're not going to make, uh, make the trade. You know, and I think it's tempting to think that because Horvat is a, is the captain, maybe that doesn't apply to him, right? But is that kind of the same calculation where they have a value in mind, and if a team steps up and meets that value, they'll consider it, and if not, they'll look for uh, another solution. I've always said, I was like, unless your name is Pedersen Hughes or Demko, you're probably, I mean, those are probably the three untouchables on this roster. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. Look, uh, Wayne Gretzky is traded. Like, anyone can get traded. Right. And, and, I, and I think that for the Canucks, like they looked at it and said, OK, this is the value that we had and we thought we had for JT Miller and the market wasn't there. Now you look at another player and I, we're, we're talking about it. So we might as well just say you ought to have to look and have this conversation about Bo. He's 27 years old, maybe 28 when the contract kicks in or a new contract kicks in. What is his value? Can Bo Horvat get us what we need? to improve this hockey team, not only for next season or, or two seasons, because you're probably going to get someone, if you can, that's going to help you for, for the next few seasons. And is he a guy that's going to get it for you? And I'm not saying that they're going to trade Bull Horvat. I actually think that they're going to try and, and, and make something work here with him. But um, if there's a team that's, that's willing and looking and, and values Bo very, very highly, and I think there are teams around the National Hockey League that do, to be completely honest, and are they willing to – part ways with the player that they currently have under contract or, or a prospect, a, a high-level prospect for the services of Bo. Bo's a good hockey player, right? He's probably a 60, 65-point guy, 70-point guy, maybe, right? And on this team, where do, we fit, where do we see Bo Horvat fitting in? And is he a guy that's going to fit in at that level making 7 or $8 million, or $7.5 million? I just don't see how the money works, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in that front office trying to negotiate deals. Who's to say that they can't trade someone else to make it work? You know, we've heard names left, right, and center being talked about over the summer and over last year and before last year's trade deadline of, of who might be out there, who teams were looking at and deals that could happen. But at the end of the day, it's all up to Patrick Alvin and, and, and Jim Rutherford because, you know, they're the management team that are, that are at the end of the day, they're going to be making the decisions on this one. And they've got some tough ones still to make in the next few weeks. And if they do end up keeping Horvat, which it, it does seem like they are insistent on doing it and more likely to do it, but is there a winger or someone that kind of makes more sense to move out if you're trying to kind of reallocate that cap? And obviously they still need defensemen. I don't know if they have a winger that would get them the type of defenseman they want in return either. So it, that kind of adds to the situation as well. Well, you look at Connor Garland, right? I mean, that's the one forward that you kind of look at right now and say that, you know, he's got no protection on his contract. He's under contract for the next four years at four, 4.95. Like, I mean, that, that's a lot of money. And if you can move a player like him, you know, that does free up some cap room there as well, right? I mean, you're not getting rid of Ilya Mikheyev. You just re-signed him. I mean, Tanner Pearson's got a modified no-trade clause, right? And then you just go down the list of other guys as well. Um just by process of elimination, you kind of just look at it and say, okay, well, if it's not one person, who's it going to be? And for the Canucks perspective, it's making moves. Like I said before, they're not going to make a trade just for the sake of doing it. They're going to make a trade because it's going to have to improve this hockey team. And I agree with you. I think that the defense, like we've talked, we talked about it two years ago, the Canucks were a defenseman or two away. And we're still here three years later, still having that conversation. 
And, you know, at this point, Earth, it's probably not going to be a long-term solution, but do you see them still maybe trying, whether it's by trading a forward and bringing in a defenseman or whatever the case is, you know, maybe a, a tryout for training camp, still doing a little bit more to address even just the depth on the back end going into this season? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would think that if there's guys that they want to bring in on PTOs and, and, and things of that nature, that they would go ahead and do that. But I, I'm just... Uh, you gotta have you gotta add another defenseman at some point b- before or during this regular season because depth, like you mentioned, it matters a lot, um, especially for this team. And 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 you you can never um, count on injuries. And I think that that's that that's that that's the biggest thing. <coughs> Excuse me. That you know guys do get hurt in the course of a hockey season, but there's the biggest thing for the Vancouver Canucks right now is they got four years left with Thatcher Demko on a very very good contract. And I think that, in all reality, that's your window right there, is you need to surround him with the best possible people that you can in front of him. And J.T. Miller mentioned, yes, when we don't defend his forwards and we give a tough time to our, to our defense, when you defend as a five-man unit, but you also need to have those defensemen that are being able to going out and making those plays and being, being able to stop the other team's forwards night in and night out. Because, you know, you can't, you can't have Thatcher Demko being spectacular every single night. Yes, he's going to seal you games. And he did it a lot last season, but when he's your best player every single night, there's a problem. Uh, Irv, uh, before we let you go, are the are the Seahawks going to beat Russell Wilson on Monday? Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but it does yeah. feel like a lot of Seahawks fans. It's you know I they can go the, one in sixteen if the one is that one. You know what I mean? Well, I looked at the schedule. I mean, there's probably about four games where they're going to be a favorite going into the game. It's definitely not week one at home. No, I'll tell you that. No. No. But there's probably about four, four, maybe five games I looked at the other night that they're going to be, um, that they're probably going to be a favorite. And it's really teams I don't want to say out loud because that's just how bad the Seahawks are. So. <laughs> yeah, it could be a long season for the Seahawks. Yeah. Irf, uh, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Be well. That is uh, the fourth period. It's Irfan Gafar uh, weighing in on, uh, on JT Miller and, Earth not shine away from the Bo Horvat talk. I love yes. it. He's right in. I told he you. He is going in on the audit. I, I, it's fantastic. It's Who says we're gonna not going to have anything to speculate about? <laughs> we pivoted so quick. So quick. I love it. We are we are a well-oiled machine. We had the long weekend to think about it. Yeah. And we we're like, you know what? We're going to talk about Bo Horvat. Speaking of Bo Horvat, as I mentioned, uh, Sportsnet's NHL insider and uh, host of the co-host of the 32 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman was on with Halford and Bruff this morning, and as you would expect, they asked about Bo Horvat. A deal is not done, and what could be in store for Bo Horvat and the Canucks? Here's what he had to say. I don't believe anything is imminent with Horvat. However, the one thing we learned just last week about the Vancouver Canucks is that things can be dormant uh, for a long time, and all of a sudden the Canucks can say we're getting this done. And so I, I, I would be very wary of any bold proclamations simply because of the way this unfolded with Miller. But I, as of this morning, I don't believe anything is imminent with Horvat. Now, I've heard people also say out there, well, you got Miller done, you can't get Horvat done. I think that's loser thinking. I don't believe one thing has anything to do with the other. If you want to keep a player you deem valuable, you can always find a way to keep them. And don't forget it's another year until these contracts would kick in. 
I do believe it is Vancouver's intent to sign Bo Horvat. I do think that's what they want to do. I, I think the interesting thing is that last year they would they, they would get calls about Miller and they would at least at least listen. They would get calls about Horvat and they would hang up the phone. Um, I don't have any reason to believe that that's changed, but I would be curious to hear them say when they speak today, has anything changed on that? I still think my, I don't think anybody there needs to panic. I think the goal is to get Horvat done. I think they have the room to get Horvat done. But what it says to me is that it's been a longer process than I think some of us expected, which says to me that they're at a point where they're still not seeing value the same way. I, you know, Miller's number is obviously eight. I've got to think Horvath is going to end up starting with a seven. That is Elliot Friedman earlier today on Halford and Bruff talking about what, if anything, the JT Miller deal means for a Bo Horvat extension and the, the insight at the end there that he would expect a Bo Horvat extension to start with a seven in terms of AAV. And I understand the idea of what Friedman said earlier there that it is not a is it it's not as if signing JT Miller forces you to trade Bo Horvat, right? As he said, if you value the player, you can find a way to get it done and you can say, you know what, we're going to make center a strength of our team and we'll figure out the details around that. And that's the, that's the path we're going to choose. That is a viable option that they can choose. But I also don't think it's fair to say that it doesn't change things at all because you're in a different circumstance now, right? And you're in a different circumstance for two reasons. One is that you know exactly what's happening with JT Miller. You've signed him long-term. And the other one, as Elliot Friedman said there, the fact that a Horvat deal isn't done yet suggests that maybe it wasn't as straightforward as they thought. Maybe the number will have to be a little higher than you thought it would be. And we had somebody text in earlier, uh, why was a Miller extension prioritized over a Bo Horvat one? I don't think it was a question of priority. I think it was they've been talking to both camps, and then all of a sudden the Miller one came together quickly. They decided to move on JT Miller in a way they haven't decided to move potentially on Bo Horvat yet. So it, it neither, those things don't add up to, and therefore they must trade Bo Horvat. But if you had asked me in April, I would have said, well, they're definitely not trading Bo Horvat. That, yeah. That's not happening. It, it, it becomes at least slightly more plausible at this point. I still would very much bet against it. I would bet they're going to sign Bo Horvat to an extension. I would even maybe bet on it happening before the regular season starts. But it becomes at least a more legitimate possibility, given how circumstances have changed over the last five months or so. It definitely does. And look, I know I've been saying, hey, you probably can't pay a 3C that much, but it's not unrealistic to think that you can pay a 3C that much. And just, they, this team has a lot of winger depth. It's not that hard to, it shouldn't be that hard, as Earth mentioned mm-hmm. as well, to move a guy like Connor Garland, yep. who does have a lot of value based on his contract and how much term is remaining and try to recoup some of the assets that you thought you might have gotten back if you had traded Miller or if you were thinking about trading Horvat. The other thing as well, this management group has not been letting anything out. I think Sad has mentioned it. They are priding themselves on trying to keep as much in-house as possible. So yeah, to your point, they could sign a Horvat extension Later today, announce it right when we're about to be off air again because they enjoy <laughs> doing that. Um, and it, it wouldn't really be that surprising. I just wonder if paying three guys over $7 million, and yeah. I assume Pedersen is going to be quite a bit over $7 million, if that's the right move at one position moving forward. 
Yeah, I think it's a very fair question. And I'm sure I would expect that that question is even being kicked around internally, right? You you have to. You have to at least ask the question. Even if you ultimately decide, no, we like what Horvat does so much, we think we can get him on a team-friendly deal, still, even if that's ultimately where you end up, you still have to at least explore the other possibilities that it opens up. And I do think it comes down to, you know, if a team had been willing to step up with, I don't, I don't even want to say a massive offer, but just with an offer that met the Canucks' needs, they probably would have traded JT Miller. If right? there was a premier right-handed defenseman in any of those yeah. offers, I think it would have been done. There's probably a really good chance that he gets done. You never know, obviously, but it, it seems like from what we've heard, and again, we can maybe play another Elliot Friedman clip uh, before the end of the show here, that that offer just didn't materialize. And so they said, okay, well, that route isn't open to us. We got to go to the extension route. It might, with Bo Horvat, just come down to what are other teams willing to offer. And, again, you're talking about a significant, significant package, right? Because he's your captain, he's younger, all of that. He's valued around the league, you know, despite the questions and and all the criticism that comes up in this market. He's very valued around the league. It might come down to just, okay, what are the offers that other teams are willing to make us versus the potential extension that we can get? And I, I do wonder if that's now... You know, hey, if I was another team, I'd say, oh, they, they just signed JT Miller, huh? Maybe I'll make a call on Horvat, right? That, yeah. that would cross my mind. Do you think, and we got to go to break, but do you think, let's say. I mean, we don't have to. <laughs> yeah. They were looking for a Miller, or the trade package they were looking for for Miller, let's say it's like a right-handed defenseman, first-round pick, and a roster player. Yeah. Do you think they're more or less likely to get that for Horvat? I kind of think they're more likely, to be honest. I agree. Because I think the two years of age makes a big difference. It, it might seem like a small thing, but I, I you just look at, you know, the Nazem Kadri deal versus what he would have got if he was four years younger, right? That makes a big deal yeah. uh, to how teams value these players. And Bo Horvat still has, you know, as much as there are a lot of kind of new age front offices around the NHL and, you know, people, the analytics and all that has, has started to change how people shape about the game or think about the game. Bo Horvat still has a lot of those traditional markers that are very valued in the NHL. Yeah, right? a Lou Lamorello yeah, dream. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he, he's all like stout two-way player, all of that. He checks a lot of boxes. There's a reason, and and this gets pushed back sometimes, right? But it comes Friedman has reported it that he was heavily involved in talks for Team Canada if NHL players had gone to the Olympics last year, right? Again, that's it's not me saying he would have made it. That's just relaying what has been out there. That doesn't happen unless you're very well regarded around the league. And I think that plus the two years of difference, plus the perception that because he's not, you know, he he didn't just score 99 points. You might be able to get him on more of a team friendly deal than JT Miller. I think all of those things add up to, yeah, you could actually, you're probably more likely to get that package with Horvat than Miller. Yeah. He just seems to have the, and he's been doing it for longer, right? Like JT came to Vancouver, he showed up and all of a sudden he was a star player. Horvat has been Horvat for the last or five years, yeah, at least, and, and so you kind of know what you're getting. And, and I agree. If you're signing an extension, let's say it's seven, eight years, it's expiring when he's 34 or 35 instead of yes, 37, and 
that that's a big difference. I think for that a lot does of make a big difference. Yeah. yeah, you're not. You're. I mean, those are the years. You know, 31, 32, 33, which would be kind of the final years of a Bo Horvat deal. Those are the years they're counting on JT Miller to be really productive still, yeah. right? In the front end of his deal. So that two years of age uh, age difference can make a really big difference in terms of how players look at signing him long term uh, and potentially what they might be willing to offer in a trade. Although, again, just to be clear, as fun as it is to speculate, I would still very much bet on Bo Horvat signing an extension. Uh, we will dive back into the text box. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Maybe he'll hear a little bit more from Elliot Friedman as well. Plus, get into some of the other news uh, from around the world of sports over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, coming up, final segment of the show, Sportsnet Today. Jamie Dodd, Josh Elliott Wolf, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Welcome back, Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 650. Final segment for us today. It's Jamie Dodd and Josh Elliott Wolf here on the home of the Canucks. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah are back at 11 a.m. today for a couple of hours. And at 11, they will be chatting with uh, JT Miller, fresh off welcoming a son to his family and also signing a $56 million deal. You heard him speak to the media earlier today. Uh, and he will be on uh, exclusively with Dan and Sat coming up at eleven. Is this? I I have uh, I've given up trying to follow the schedule here at six fifty over the summer. Is this like a reunion show for Sat and Dan, or have they well, been together? They were here on Friday. For right, 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 right. After. So that an emergency edition. Right. This was supposed supposed, supposed to be the reunion, to be. Right. reunion, and now. Now it's like a kind of reunion because yes. now they can kind of talk about what they were doing, yeah. As opposed to Friday, they got they got dragged into <laughs> yeah. into work. By, I think uh, Reach by was Miller like twenty four hours. He had just landed. Like amazing. He was uh, still on Europe time, but he came in. He's committed. Good for him. Good for him. Hard workers, pros. Those guys. Yeah, they'll be taking over at eleven. You'll hear from JT Miller. Also, the Patrick Alvine media availability is happening at eleven. So. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Josh. We You're will the producer, play it but... at 11.30. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So... You'll hear from JT Miller at 11 uh, and Patrick Alvin at 11.30. Um, Sportsnet today here, final segment, and uh, we'll, we'll get just some final thoughts in uh, before we move on to some other things on JT Miller, Bo Horvat, all of that. I did just want to play, uh, just to make sure everyone heard it, because I thought it was one of the really interesting tidbits that came from Friedman when he was on earlier today with Halford and Bruff, kind of addressing just the question of why did things happen this way? And specifically the question of what the trade market looked like for JT Miller over the summer. And here's what Elliot Friedman had to say about, you know, how hot or not hot the trade market was for Miller. Our guy, Ben is, is, uh, is, <laughs> Trying to find the clip as we speak here. Uh, we are looking for the Elliot Friedman on uh, the trade market uh, for uh, for JT Miller. We got that one. Good to go. All right, we're good to go. Here's what Elliot Friedman had to say. Like, I don't think it really got to what. Obviously, it never got to anything. Like Jim Rutherford is not a guy who's afraid to make trades, right? Sure. He, he loves doing it. It's 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 very clear to me that he didn't get what he wanted. And the other thing that's clear to me based on what we saw with this deal is that I don't think Vancouver was that interested in the futures deal. 
I think they like like it's when when you sign Miller to this contract, you are sending a message that you want to be in the race. So the other thing I look at when it comes to a potential JT Miller trade is they wanted to make a deal that would keep them in the race. And I just don't know how many of those were out there. Um, So do I think that it meant that they couldn't make a trade for Miller? No, I, I don't think it meant that. I just don't think that they could make a deal for Miller that they liked that would have kept them in the race. Cause clearly this is a message that, you know, like punting on the next on next season or the next couple of years is not something they were willing to consider. That is Elliot Friedman earlier today with Halford and Bruff and not obviously look, it, it just the fact that they signed JT Miller instead of trading him tells you that the market for the trade wasn't what they had hoped. If it was what they had hoped, yeah, they there's a good chance they would have done the deal. But I thought it was also interesting to hear specifically it was never as futures oriented from the Canucks perspective. They needed to get things back that would help them this year. And obviously if one of your priorities is to make the playoffs this year, to be competitive this season and next, nobody's offering you that a return that will help you do that. Well, then you kind of have to say, all right, we got to figure out a way to get an extension done here. Yeah. And I'm sure they were looking for younger guys that would still fit long-term, but they were looking for guys that were going to make an immediate impact. Right. And, that's really hard to find, especially when your position of need is defense, and every team needs defense around the league right now. You're not, it's you're not going to find a very willing trade partner that's going to maybe give you a defenseman and other pieces as especially well. Especially when you're going to trade JT Miller, you were going to trade him to a team that was in win now mode, right? Yeah. So if they have a player that they think can actually move the needle already and help them win games, like, well, why are we going to give him up? And then JT Miller, we have to pay him and we have to give more. You can understand why the calculus wouldn't necessarily make sense uh, for any of the teams they were talking to uh, as well there, right? Like when you think about it in those terms, that it wasn't about futures, you start to understand how we ended up at this spot kind of on the eve of training camp or at least a couple weeks out from training camp, JT Miller getting the extension done. Uh, some more thoughts coming in about Bo Horvat as well. This one I thought was interesting, right? Who says, uh, unsigned, you shouldn't pay a traditional third-line center that much, and we're talking about you know a $7, seven million price tag or something like that for Bo Horvat, but it's pretty clear they don't want a traditional 3C. They want a three-headed monster at center. Bo will get first-unit power play time to goose his points, and I think that's... That's an interesting sense. way to pitch it, right? The yeah. idea of the three-headed monster. We're gonna we're gonna have some of the best one through three center depth in the league. Guess what? Yeah, we have to pay a premium to do that, but that's how we're gonna build our team, and everything's gonna flow from that. That that is a plausible course of action to me. I, I understand the viewpoint there. My only issue with that is so there's kind of pros and cons to it. Like the pros is the cap's going to go up. And if you have all three guys on sign long-term, yeah. eventually you're probably going to get some positive value from it and be able to sign wingers to bigger contracts because your centers are actually at a discount by the end of their contracts, but they're also old, whatever. But my issue is at least at the beginning, let's say you sign Horvat to a seven, seven and a half million dollar deal. You have to take away from your winger positions, yeah, and then all all of a sudden, maybe you don't have enough wingers to have an actual but top nine. The, I will say, looking at it from a long term perspective, where are almost all of the Canucks' high end, young, cost controlled players on the wing? 
right? Yeah. With Vasily Podkolzin. Now we'll see what Niels Hoaglander does this year, but another guy who at least has that top six upside that's still cost controlled for the foreseeable future, even though this is the last year of his ELC. They just spend a pick on Lakaramaki. You know, even a guy who at least has a high ceiling, even if he's maybe not likely to get there, like Danila Klimovich, right? So you have those types of players in that's where you have depth in your prospect pipeline yeah. and in your young player pipeline that you don't have it on defense. You don't have it down the middle. You have it on the wings. So if there's any posi- position where you look at it and think we can move some of our veterans, bring in young players from our internal to our organization and maybe not suffer that much. It's the wing. So I, I understand it from that perspective. And th- the other thing is if you look at shopping in UFA where can you get some deals? It's kind of that middle six winger, right? It's cheaper nope. on the wing. For it's sure. cheaper on the wing. Maybe you're, there's always a guy who the calendar rolls around to August. You're like, oh, he hasn't signed yet. Oh, man, I wonder if we can get him pretty cheap. And then he goes and has a, def- a decent season. Like Evan Rodriguez exactly. right now would be that guy. And apparently, I think there was a report that he's looking for around $2 million, whereas before, earlier in the summer, Way probably would have been that. around four-ish. Yeah. yeah, and now it's like, well, okay, I'll... I'll not take what I can get, but the the market changes, and I think we've seen consistently that you can you can kind of go bargain hunting on the wing in a way that you can't necessarily do uh, at center. Keep your thoughts coming in six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. A couple other things I wanted to get to, and uh, big day, big weekend, big day for the Blue Jays yesterday, Josh. Uh, Sweeping a doubleheader against the Orioles. They'll play them again today. That's massive because obviously the Orioles chasing them in the wildcard race. They also swept the Pirates, which doesn't really matter. And it was kind of an uncomfortable series. But hey, (laughs) they got the wins. So it all counts. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, really, it was like this time last week, basically coming off the sweep where they got swept by the Angels that... People were pretty angry. People were pretty upset, pretty tense. Now, all of a sudden, they've rattled off a really nice streak since then. They've put some distance between themselves and the Orioles. They're knocking on the door right behind the, the Rays and the Mariners again for, for top spot in the wild card race. Call me crazy, but they are in. They can get the AL East. Five and a half. It's, Five and a half. It's not as outlandish as it once seemed. Play the um, Yankees three more times. It has dramatically turned around for the Blue Jays. And I got to say, I, I think I owe an apology to, to one Bo Bichette. He's always been my guy. I, I look. It's <laughs> I own too. I own that too. It's a complicated, like perfect. It's a complicated good. discussion. This is our yeah. guy, producer Ben, in today because I've always appreciated what Bobichet can do. He's, I know he's a valuable player. His rookie season was phenomenal. He's had really good seasons. He's my daughter's favorite player, largely because of his hair. I think it's pretty fun. But as as productive as he has been in his major league career and as talented as he is, I also find him so frustrating. He is a player to me of very high highs and very low lows. When it's on, like it is right now, and I mean, he was a monster yesterday. yesterday three home them. runs in one game. Six of ten over the two games with like seven RBIs, three home runs, as you said, in the second game. It looks amazing. The swing is fantastic. He's athletic. He drives the ball, all of that. When he's off, like he was at the plate for long stretches earlier this year, and it's 0-2 every at-bat, and then he chases out of the zone, and it just drives you nuts and makes you want to pull your hair out, the lows are very low. So I think he can be a, a frustrating player to watch, but I will say I was probably too hard on him earlier this year. Ben, are you in the same boat well, as I, me? I totally agree with you, and I think his defense is impacted by his offense. Like that Angel series where he couldn't really get a hit, he was making errors, some sideways throws, like he was no plays on balls. 
And this last series, you know, in these two games yesterday, he's making crazy plays at short, like highlight reel sort of stuff. And so I think he gets when he gets that confidence, he is that high of hive player. But wow, like I I've been so frustrated with him at some points this year, but I was happy yesterday. There's also sure. just something, and this is this is purely aesthetic. It doesn't actually impact how good the player is, but I would rather watch a really selective player at the plate struggle than a guy who's a free swinger like Bo. Like a Matt just, Chapman, yeah. when he's up there, you're like, you know what, he's taking pitches, but he's, he's still working the out. count. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay, it didn't turn. You know, everyone goes through slumps. Whatever. Yeah. That's fine. Like even Kevin Biggio. It's like, okay, hey, at least he's going to go up there and he's going to work the count. He's going to see some pitches. He's not going to chase outside the zone. There's something so frustrating to me about watching a guy who just gets behind all the time doesn't put themselves in a position to succeed. And that was Bo Bichette for a lot. That, that's kind of baked into his style anyways. It reminds me a little bit of the la- like what we saw from Elias Pettersson last season, where right. at the beginning of the year, it was just incredibly frustrating. It's like, what's going on? What, what, is, what happened <laughs> yeah. to this player? And then at the end, it was, oh my goodness, this is incredible. This is some of the best hockey he's ever played. And I don't think the lows have been that low for Bo Bichette or the highs have even been that high or for as long, right? I mean, we're really talking about a couple of weeks that he's heated up here uh, towards the end of the season. But it is that kind of same discrepancy where, man, when it's bad, it's rough. (laughs) (laughs) It's rough. Whereas, yeah, as you said, Matt Chapman, Matt Chapman's been just steady, like steady, responsible, reliable the whole season. Uh, with Bo, it is uh, it's a roller coaster, much like the Blue Jays have been for this. At least he's heating up now. Like I, I think I, I agree. He's even as a guy that's defended him. It's been frustrating when you're like yeah. you look away and you look back at the TV and it's O2 and you're like, "Bo, what are you doing, man?" And then he strikes out swinging. And the other thing is his swing looks so aggressive every time that you just kind of assume he's swinging yeah. for the fence. Well, he's got the big leg kick yeah, and yeah. The, just it's a powerful swing and when it works again, it's really great, but when it's not working, it's incredibly frustrating. But again, he's heating up at the right time at least when you're trying to put some distance between you and teams trying to chase you in the standings. Maybe you're trying to get a home playoff or a home wild mm-hmm, card series mm-hmm. too. It's at the right time, but you get. I'm also worried it's not going to sustain. Like obviously not this level, but I'm worried there's going to be another drop off by the time they get to the playoffs as well. Yeah, I mean that's fair. The hope is, and I think the hope has always been with the Jays. Well, I mean, what you ideally want to see is, you know, Bichette, Vladdy, Springer. Chapman, Kirk, Teoscar Hernandez, all clicking at once. That hasn't happened. No. Now, that's a tall order. That's a lot of guys I just rattled off who are good players. But I, I feel like there even haven't, haven't even been that many stretches where like three of them have been clicking at the same time. You no, know what I mean? It's been super frustrating. Yeah, it, it's been Matt Chapman's had a nice few weeks. You know, George Springer's gotten hot. Vladdy's had a couple of hot stretches. But it's never been a situation where you look at the lineup and say, wow, all of those guys are mashing right now. And I think that's... For them to do any sort of damage in the playoffs, if they get to the playoffs, that's what's going to have to happen, right? You need to have at least three or four of those guys hot, or else it's just it's they don't have the pitching, they don't have the bullpen uh, to sustain it otherwise. And what I usually, like, what I've been saying throughout the year is you look at teams, and you can kind of tell if they're a World Series contender. Like the Dodgers, they're going to no the doubt. World Series. No doubt. The Yankees, they are struggling now, but... You know they have it in them to at least be that World Series caliber team. I don't know if the Jays have shown for more than a couple games in a row. Like, you need a couple weeks of showing you are an elite team for 
people to really buy in. And I, I don't know if they've had it. Maybe they're saving it for the playoffs, and they're going to have some awesome timing. Everyone's going to be clicking. Lots of clutch hits. Their pitchers are going to all figure it out at the same time. But that's a lot of ifs, and I just yeah. don't know if that's going to happen. But hopefully, I mean, they're still a really young team, too. Like, yep. this can... It can be a growing year and a good year overall, even if they don't go far in the playoffs. Well, what, I, what some... I would say, Josh, is like, sorry to interrupt. No, you, no, no. But what I would say is, I don't think anybody wants to see them in the playoffs, though. No, we, for sure. Especially can get hot, especially right? if they get hot in September. Right? right? They're going to be that kind of proverbial team no one wants to face. Um, I did want to give a quick shout out also, and this came in in the text message inbox. Uh, can you talk about the women's gold medal game? They need some love. Amazing tourney and year for them. Yeah, shout out to the the Canadian women. Fantastic performance to win the gold against the Americans. So that's two world championships and an Olympic gold medal in the span. Of, I think it was just over 365 days uh, for the Canadian women, which is incredible. I saw somebody say it was the first time Canada's won back-to-back golds at that world at that event, the world, since like 1990 and 91, Dang. which really just goes to show you how dominant the Americans have been at that event. It looked like throughout the course of the tournament, the Americans were going to win that one again. Uh, so shout out to Canada. Uh, they uh, just another great performance uh, and a great addition of that rivalry. Uh, shout out to the Canadian team, not Hockey Canada, who made some very odd decisions on handing out the gold medals uh, <laughs> in that one. Don't exactly know what they were thinking there, uh, but I did want to get that mentioned in for the Canadian women. And the other thing I want to talk about the the big event happening tonight, Josh, the Sports on Six Fifty Fantasy Football Draft. And Woo! you look, I didn't, I wasn't sure it was going to happen this year. It was getting late. It was getting late. There hadn't been any news of it. You stepped up, volunteered to put yourself in the crosshairs. Yeah. Be the commissioner. Establish the league. This is a Josh Elliott Wolf production. The commissioner. The commissioner. The commish. So far, no issues. And and if there's one thing the 650 Fantasy League is known for, it's for at least least one dramatic thing happening. And look, there's still a lot of season left. I'm I'm worried it will happen. Well, yeah, the season hasn't even started. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. sure is a lot of season left. There is. I, I'm a little concerned. I but I had the same thing. I was like, is nobody gonna We step gotta up? do it. Somebody yeah. has to do it. Uh so it's me, and I'm just really hoping really hoping it goes well. I, I have faith in you. I think you've got a level head, you know, people you've got uh People like you, so they're, they're not with predisposed. Like every show yeah. too, so that people are predisposed to like you and give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, even though you know you mysteriously end up with the number two pick, pretty good spot to be sitting <laughs> in this year's draft. I kind of wanted number four because I wanted Jefferson. <laughs> I got number. I got number four. I'll trade you. You can take Jefferson with four or with two. I'm not going to, but I. I mean, I could. It would just. The one thing I'll say, and I, I saw our guy uh, Marcus Fitzgerald brought this up as well. He didn't get off to a good start when you didn't choose ESPN or Yahoo. Sleeper is way better. Something called Sleeper, which I've never you've heard never of. Used I it? have never used it. I had to sign up for an account. I'm gonna have to download the app. <laughs> I was like, oh, Sleeper. Come on. I, I already I have Yahoo on my phone. People can text in. Sleeper is way better. Like I talked. What is to, it? What is I, it? Because I, the thing I don't like is Sleeper has emailed me every time somebody has signed up to join the league. That only happens just, when Okay, come on. Signs slow up. down. I don't need this. Is this going to be the volume of emails that I'm getting here? I don't want that. You can definitely un, like, unclick the email button. But Sleeper, I talked to Bick about it as well. He's the fantasy guy here. Yes. And it's just way more streamlined. You'll see at the draft. It's just overall a better user experience in my mind. I don't know. Maybe. What is it? Just streamlined? Yeah. It's just, it, I mean, it's just another fantasy app. 
but I just find their their UI better than Yahoo and ESPN. ESPN sucks. Yeah, I'm more of a Yahoo guy, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just if it ain't fixed, don't or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what well, I was trying to say. We can always close, improve. Close JT enough. Miller said he wants to improve That's his true. defensive game. <laughs> I want to improve our fantasy leagues. But anyways, uh no, and somebody texted in, is this for the People Show draft? No, it is not. This is the internal 650 uh, hosts and producers and other people that work here, uh, fantasy draft, which, uh, again, very brave of Josh Elliott Wolf to uh, to put himself in the line of fire as the commissioner. I'm worried about Because it. it drove Bick insane. Bick one year tried to write like a like a 10-page constitution yes. for yeah. the league. He had rules, and like I remember when he sent it to me, I was it like, wasn't what just is rules. Happening? He literally called it a constitution. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it, it was it was very uh, I understand it because his thinking was well then well, if I get people to agree to this there'll be no complaints and no drama I was like good luck with that I but even put, nobody is going to obey the Constitution Vic yeah I put in my email I'm like I'm open to suggestions if everybody agrees so now like I know I'm not going to have to do anything as far as changing settings or whatever because yeah. no way everybody is going to agree on something so I just leave it in the hands of the people of 650. And I just look like I'm I'm like, ah, sorry, Jamie didn't want to do it. That's right. Blame it on me. Blame <laughs> yeah. it on me. I don't know. I think you'll be fine. As I said, uh, people are predisposed to like you, but something is going to come up at some point. Yeah. We'll see tonight at the draft. There's Somebody gonna be, is going to gonna do be something. Like, you have no defense in this? I already got flack for removing defense but keeping kickers. I'm just glad you got rid of one. Yeah. Both I, of them I prefer is... kickers. Yeah, I mean, sure. I I don't like either of them really. It's kind of just random and arbitrary. But I like the I like a little bit of randomness because I I like like just barely winning a week because yeah. your kicker was good. Well, the good thing about kickers is they're less likely to have like a random thirty point game. Than like, yeah. You get a defense that gets a shutout and a couple picks or something. It's like, oh my gosh, this defense somehow single handedly won the guy of the week, uh, which doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to be going against. Uh, that in your league so at least kickers there's less of that uh to come up against all right that's gonna do it for us uh thanks for listening dan and sat back with canuck central coming up at 11 and jt miller will be joining the show live off the top of the show plus you hear patrick alvin's media availability as well josh and i'll be back tomorrow same time 9 to 11 tune in then you've got it the home of the canucks sportsnet 650